I started talking about this fantastic word, this word confidence. I think that's a very powerful word for us to have. I mean, there's just something about when you live a life of confidence. I mean, it brings vitality, it brings energy. It invigorates your life, it invigorates your walk, everything about yourself if you have confidence. We, you know, people talk a lot about self-confidence. I think we're going to deal in this entire series on a, on a different way of thinking about confidence. And, and, and we started in Acts chapter 27 last week, and we're going we're gonna to go back there to Acts 27 and kind of rest ourselves in there. And, and some background on the story that we're, uh, we're about to read. The Apostle Paul had been arrested and he had been tried once and, and he appealed that arrest and that trial to Caesar as a Roman citizen. And while transporting him, the Bible says that Paul told those who were in charge of that ship that uh, we don't need to sail right now. I mean, we're, if we sail right now, we are going to get in a storm. As a matter of fact, he even went as far to say that if we sail right now, uh, not only will we lose the ship, but we're going to lose our lives. And as you know, uh, many of you know the, the story that, that they in fact kind of did their ancient way of reading the signs of nature and they determined that it was safe to sail. And so they loaded everybody up in this ship, including the Apostle Paul, and they, they set out for Rome in this ship. And while on their way to Rome, just as Paul had told them, the ship ran into a storm, and it was a terrible storm. It was a hurricane-type storm, but, but it just spun in one place. I mean, I can imagine now if uh, there were... Uh, weather forecast or the weather channel or whatever, they would just talk about maybe a, a low pressure that just sort of set in one spot. And day after day after day after day, this ship was hammered with this wind and waves and this raging storm that was taking place there. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I, I personally have been on the water and I have determined something in my life. I don't like being on the water in a storm. And I just don't enjoy it. Raylene and I, um, a couple of years ago, took a cruise out of Galveston and cut across the Gulf of Mexico. And most of our sailing time was in very calm seas. But there was one particular day that storms were around. And we were, we were sailing through those. Thankfully, it was at night. And as we were sailing through those those stormy waters, you could just feel the difference in the ship. It was pitching and rocking. Matter of fact, we were sitting at the table and it was, it was, you know, it was one of those type of deals where, you know, your glasses on the table would slide one way and slide. And, and, and I just determined that I don't like being on the ocean in a storm. I was, it was uncomfortable for me. Now, I sat by a sailor one time and coming home from the Philippines, I sat next to a man that, was, that, had, that had taken a, a, a freight ship, and that's what he did for a living, and he had taken it into Japan, and then they put him on an airplane, and they were flying him back to the port in the United States, and he was going to 
get on another ship and, and, and go out and just in casual conversation with that man before we passed out from jet lag, uh, he made the comment that, man, I hate flying. I'd rather be on the water. And I said, you know, what about when storms, what about when y'all go through storms? I mean, does that ever bother you? He said, no, I have, I have confidence in the ship. But man, I don't have any confidence in this airplane. I mean, he had grown accustomed to being in a storm. And, and obviously, for these people, they had grown accustomed to being in a storm as well. But, but yet, they were beginning to realize in this storm that they weren't going to make it. Years ago, I, I was fishing a lake in East Texas the, with some friends of mine. I went on vacation with them every year uh, for a period of time as a teenager. And, and um, we, would, we would go fish Lake Toledo Bend. Lake Toledo Bend is a very large lake um, that, that borders Louisiana and Texas. It, um, both states lay claim to half of the lake. And uh, the Sabine River, which is the dividing line between the two states, cuts right down the middle of, of, of Toledo Bend Lake. And, and it's very common on that lake to have very violent storms crop up. I mean, there are portions of that lake that are 15, 20 miles wide and and um, you don't want to be on Toledo Bend in a thunderstorm. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, because it is so expansive. The waves on Toledo Bend can become very dangerous to a fishing boat. They could, they could inundate the boat and you will sink. And if you sink out there, you will drown. The second thing is, is that when they, when they back flooded the timberland for Lake Toledo Bend, they, they didn't cut any of the pine trees out. And so... And so across most of the uh, more shallow areas of that lake, and when I say more shallow, I'm talking about 30, 40 foot depth of water or less, uh, the temper is still there. And over the years, the, the water has rotted the limbs off. And so now you just have an entire lake area filled with spikes, just spikes everywhere. Matter of fact, they have gone through there and they've put plastic jugs on those spikes to kind of guide the fishermen. The fishermen, as you go through those, and they call them the boating lanes, but they're really just old creek beds where, creeks, where, where, where trees didn't grow. And they, they've marked those creek beds through there, calling them the boat lanes. And you just sort of have to stick with um, those jugs marking that area where the trees aren't. Because if you get off into the area where the trees are, you could very easily puncture the whole of your boat, and there again, you would sink, and if you sink, you are probably going to drown. So it was that we were out fishing Toledo then one time, and, and um, a storm cropped up while we were out there fishing. We were so excited about it. We were catching black bass. We were reeling them in just about every cast, and, and this was a very exciting venture, and we just didn't notice the sound of thunder on the horizon and the clouds that were being shielded from us by the trees, and then before we knew it, we were involved in a very, very dangerous storm on Lake Toledo Bend. The waves were crashing up over into us, and um, our only hope of rescue wasn't to get to a marina. We were too far out. Our only hope of rescue or to save ourselves from this was to cut through those trees and get ourselves into a cove that we ultimately called Alligator Cove because there were four or five alligators in there when we got up in there. 
this story does get worse. And so we thought to beach the boat and get out of the boat, but then we saw the alligators and we thought just stay in the boat, right? And, and so that's, that's what we ended up doing. We ended up fishing this cove. Matter of fact, the, the way the hills come down in that particular cove, it, it protected us from the brunt of most of that storm. And we could see out the end of that cove how violent the storm was. And we just sort of hunkered down and, and just got in the bottom of the boat, literally. We got out of seats, got down, because the lightning was crazy, and we just got down as low as we could get. That's all we could do, and just, just pray. That's the only second time I ever heard Donald Yant pray. Donald Yant was my friend Derek's dad. He, Donald went to our church. We never saw him. He never saw him pray, never, never saw him uh, make any move that direction. It just was... Just one of those deals. But there were two times. Both times I ever heard Donald Yant pray. Both times it had something to do with Lake Toledo Bend and us. The first time he prayed was when Derek cast a boy howder three treble hook lure toward a group of bass. And he caught me in the back with that lure. Okay? So he pulls back and he casts. And it goes... Because he's got me right there. And then he looks at that rod and reel. And goes. A second time. And at that point it jerks me forward. And now I can finally speak. I told him to quit. Stop it. Stop it. You got me. So I'm standing there with this lure attached to my shoulder. Donald Yacht come behind me with the knife and he cut my shirt away. And that's the first time I ever heard Donald Yacht pray. And his prayer kind of went like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us, Lord. And I'm like, is it really that bad? He's like, well, fishing's over for now. He had sunk. Several of those treble hooks, but he had sunk one particular treble hook as far deep into, my, into the meat of my back as it could possibly go. We made our way to the, to the boathouse and boat dock. We climbed out. We loaded in the car. We went to the marina. Donald stepped inside to ask the lady in the marina how quickly we could get to the nearest hospital or emergency clinic. And she said, well, it's 50 50 minutes at least, but you know, the best de-hooker on Lake Toledo Bend is gassing his boat up right now at our marina. And if this kid could take it, he can get that hook out in seconds and y'all can be back out there fishing. The guy brought a stick up for me to bite. Now here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible says all things work together for the good. If nothing else, I got a great story out of this, right? You know what I'm saying? Like even God would make a way that all these years later, you know, 30 years later, it worms its way into a sermon, right? So they take me in and they set me down on a, on a stool. Stick a, put a stick in my mouth. This was like Old West. I'm telling you, it's nut. This is just crazy stuff, right? And um, it, yeah, you know, it's funky. You can relate now. Uh, so, I, so I sit down and I bite the stick and the guy says, look, this is going to hurt. I'm like, okay. 
He said, well, let me get all these other ones that ain't so deep out yet. He could back most of them out just by, like, snipping the, the flesh. And he got it all the way down to that one hook. Cut the two barbs off. Got it all the way down to that one hook. And he said, bite that stick really hard. Here goes the fun part. And he ran that hook all the way through me. Cut that barb off and ran that hook back. Put iodine on his hand like this and slapped me as hard as he could right where that thing was. He said, now you feel the slap. That slap's worse than, the, than that hook, wasn't it? I went, okay, I am surrounded by crazy people. This is all crazy, but I will tell you this. Has anybody ever had a hook need to come out? There you are. God bless all of us. See, I'll tell you what it does. It'll make a man out of you when everybody else thinks you're not. No, I'm saying this, you know, I got, you know, like I'm a preacher. So, you know, I got, you know, I shake people's hands and they say stuff like this. Man, your hands are soft. You know what that say? You know what that feels like as a man? What do you mean I got soft hands? You calling me a girl? You know what I'm saying? And see, what you could do is come back and say, yeah, but I had a treble hook ran through me. That's a man story, let me tell you. Like, I mean, you watch the deadliest catch, they get a toothache out there, they pull their own teeth with pliers. You know what I'm saying? That's a man story. A man story. The other time, that was the first time. Hey, we were fishing in 30 minutes after that. It was great. I'm surprised it didn't get infected. That's the weird thing. We didn't tell my mom about it. She would have found a way for it to get infected. But anyway, another story. Another time we were out here and we were fighting our way through those trees. And, and these waves were so, they were high enough for us to go up on top. And then, and we could see that cove, we could see safety was right there, but when that wave would go out from under us, down we would plummet, and all around us would be a spike, 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 spike. And we'd go up on another wave, we'd come crashing back down, a spike, 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 and this howling wind and driving rain and lightning and thunder and spike, 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 spike. And Donald Yount was behind the wheel of that boat saying, Oh, Jesus, Jesus in your name. I don't like being on a body of water in a storm. And I don't think they did either. Matter of fact, look at Acts 27, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. See, Paul's saying, now, wait a minute. At first I said that we were all going to die, but, but no, the angel of the Lord stood with me and gave me a word from God, and the word from God is this. Not only will I live, but all of us will live. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in, the God, in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. They knew what that meant. This miraculous word of God. I mean, Paul stood in the midst of this terrible storm with this 
amazing confidence that no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter what takes place, there's one thing we can all be guaranteed, that I have confidence in God that everything's going to work out for our good. That somehow or another through the midst of this, that God knows how to turn all of this around and somewhere we're going to see the hand of God work on our behalf. I have this confidence. We talked last week from the 25th verse where he said, Keep your courage for I have faith in God. And I talked to you very strongly. If you didn't hear that, you can go on iTunes and Stitcher and, and listen to it. But we talked very strongly about the fact that the foundation of this entire thing is that Paul had confidence because of his faith in God. But somewhere or another, he was just saying, Listen, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know he will I know that God's going to work this thing out, and I'm going to stand on that faith to believe that the God I serve is able to take care of this. I made comment about the fact that Paul did not allow his faith to shift from God to the storm or from God to someone else. Somewhere or another, Paul rested his faith in Jesus Christ that, that he knew that the one who could calm this storm, the one who could take care of this circumstance was the same one that, had, that he had faith in. That His faith was strong. Oftentimes we have faith in ourselves. You know, I, it, was a, it was a bumper sticker, but I've also heard people say it. They, they make this, and this is just kind of crazy to me, so bear with me. If you have the bumper sticker, please forgive me. They say, well, Jesus is the co-pilot of my life. What in the world is he doing playing second chair? I mean, seriously, ever so often we need to join Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel. You know what I'm saying? Jesus don't need to be in the co-pilot chair. Somehow or another, we must understand that, that our faith in Christ must be that, you know what, Jesus is in the pilot chair of my life. That I'm not trusting me to drive and hoping Jesus is riding shotgun. Somehow or another in my life to recognize and understand that my faith in him has to be total confidence and faith. In, and that really leads us to what we're talking about today from the 23rd verse. He said, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. The one to whom I belong. I think that, that that's really difficult for a lot of people because, because we think, man, what do you mean I belong? And I, I think that it's important for us to recognize that the confidence that Paul needed to weather the storm was also built on this point of confidence that he had that no matter what takes place in my life, I'm not my own. That, that I'm not... That I'm not the pilot trying to make this thing happen. That I, that I serve God and that I have faith in God. But that I belong to God. And, and God knows how to take care of that which he owns. This point of confidence rests in Paul's understanding of relationship with God. That really began at his conversion. He had given himself to the lordship of Christ Look at Acts 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? 
Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. See, in this very moment of his conversion, his heart and his mind was immediately turned to the lordship of Christ in his declaration, Who are you, Lord? See, this word Lord means supreme in authority. That in this moment of his life, Paul recognized, well, whatever is happening to me, whatever this light is, whatever this voice is, whatever's going on in my life, I do know this. I need to give myself wholly to the one who is calling my name today. I need to submit my life to the lordship of Christ. Whatever you bid me to do. And I mean, it was a major turn for Paul. I mean, everything in his life changed when he switched his allegiance from the path he thought he should take and the path that Christ declared for him to take in his life. I mean, Paul was used to being in charge. He was a a person of esteem. He was a person of, of even wealth. He was a person who had great authority. He was also a person who had major respect among the people. I mean, he was a guy that could make things happen. And on that road to Damascus, he recognized that I can't do this on my own. That I can't be in the driver's seat of my life and fulfill the the plan of God. I can't be in the driver's seat of my life and and, and expect that I'm going to get to my true destiny, this plan that God has laid out for me in my life. And so, and so he said, who are you, Lord? And, and maybe there are times in our life that we have to do the exact same thing. We have to cry out, who are you, Lord? What are you bidding for me in my life? What are you saying to me in my life? And this is extremely important because years later, Paul finds himself arrested. Paul finds himself facing death. He finds himself in, 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 in a circumstance that makes no sense. I mean, my goodness, he's in a storm. The boat's falling apart. None of this makes sense. But because he had given lordship of his life over to Jesus Christ, because he could say, the God that I belong to, because he could say that, he also knew that the one who has authority, the one who has supreme authority, over me also has supreme authority over the storm, over the boat, over the entire process of deliverance. See, if we are going to have confidence in our life, we have to give ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at Acts 2.36. It says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, Bear with me for a moment. Everybody wants him to be Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one or the Savior. The one who is anointed to save. Everybody wants Jesus to be their Messiah, but but a lot of people don't want him to be their Lord. Oh, well, I want to get saved, but then I just want to be in control of everything. You know, I want to get saved, but I want to put Jesus in the co-pilot chair. That way, you know, if I need you, okay, I got five of you, okay, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, if I, if, you know, Jesus, you just sit quietly over there in the co-pilot chair of my life, and if I get into trouble, see, we want him 
to save us, but we certainly don't want him to tell us to do anything. Or are we just like the, okay, I know I'm preaching. Is this too hard for y'all in second church? I mean, first church took this really well. Just no pressure. This is saying that Christ has been made by God to be both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Savior. We all have a tendency to want a Savior but not a Lord. We, we like to be in complete control. Paul was saying on that ship, I have confidence because I'm not in control of any of this. The one who loves me and is looking out for me is in control of all of this. The one to whom I have given my life to, to say, I willfully submit to your supreme authority is the one who also has supreme authority over all of this. Matter of fact, Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority has been given to me. Last week we rehearsed the story of Peter when the disciples were in a a different storm on on the lake and probably much like the Toledo Bend storm found themselves rowing hard, being inundated with water. Jesus came walking to them on the water and we we, we ended with Peter sinking because Peter had gotten out of the boat and walked on the water with Jesus and then Jesus getting a hold of him, pulling him in. That was verse 31 of Matthew 14. But I, I wanted to look at the 32nd verse. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. What's Jesus saying to us? He's saying, if you will trust me with everything, I will take care of the things that are troubling you. That don't mean there won't be storms. I mean, clearly, after Paul made this declaration, they lost the ship. They had, they got, you know, they all got wet. You know, I mean, they, they, the Bible says some of them swam in and some of them floated in. And then, and then they got on an island with inhabitants that were less than friendly most of the time, but somehow the grace of God was just on them too, and, and, and everybody was spared. But then after all of this, if you'll keep reading the chapter and go, go on, you'll discover that Paul then was bitten by a snake that was a viper and it should have killed him in about 30 minutes. And everybody stood around saying, what kind of evil man is this? That he was saved from the storm, but yet he gets on the island, picks up a piece of wood, there's a snake laying behind it, the snake bites him on the hand, now let's all just watch him die. And as they stood there and sat there waiting on Paul to die, he just kept stoking the fire. Because Paul had already received the word that, that the God I serve The God I serve even has supreme authority over the venom of that snake. Paul did not die. And it so so staggered those, those heathen inhabitants of that island. An island that ships did not stop on. It did not have a port. 
To, nobody stopped there because they were like cannibalistic. They, were, they, were, they would kill you. And, and it so staggered them that the snake, the storm didn't kill Paul. The snake didn't kill Paul. They all fell down on the ground and began to worship Paul as though he was a god. And he's like, hold on a minute now. I'm not a god. I'm just a man like you. But I do serve a god and I belong to one too. You can hear the reverberation of this same thing. That my faith is in him. And I belong to him. And the one who has supreme authority over me. Has supreme authority over the storm. Over the boat. Over the captors. Over this island. Over that snake. Nothing's going to take me out. Because the word of the Lord is, I'm going all the way to the household of Caesar. And check this out. Even after this, the apostle Paul was imprisoned. And did you know that almost all of the New Testament was written by Paul after he was imprisoned? Think about that for a second. That even prison couldn't stop him from fulfilling the purpose of God. Nothing could stop him. Why? Because he says, I don't just have faith in God. I belong to him. He has supreme authority over my life. When we get back to the boat, the wind ceases. Just stand with me. Please. This is a, this is a sobering thought today, but listen to me. Please let's do it. Do not take me out of context to go somewhere off over in left field. I went to your left. The Bible is very explicit that we are not a slave to God. To say that I belong to Him doesn't mean that I belong to Him as a slave. Matter of fact, the Bible does say that we can be slave to something and it is sin. We can be a slave to sin. And what is sin? Sin's whatever separates you from God. So it's whatever separates you from God. The easy thing. I'm not going to go down a laundry list of, because churches love to do that. And that's just a mess. You know what I'm saying? Because anything can, anything can separate you from God. Anything can become a sin. All right? And so... Without going there, we must understand that we can be a slave to sin. Because sin, sin has a way of, of, of getting a hold of you. It, just, it has a way of latching itself to you. Okay? But then, but then the Bible talks about not just sin, but things that entangle us. They, not categorized as sin. It's not separating you from God, but it's controlling you in your life. It's controlling you. Like you have to go wherever it says go. This is my wife for those of you that don't know that. So I can do this. Because in our relationship it's really like this. But anyway. This is my one chance to be in charge. But I did get a fish hook rammed through my back. Sin will do this or entanglements will do this. Sometimes those entanglements can be things like addictions. It can be depression. 
It could, it could be words that were said over you as a child that you just can't get away from. And every time you try to be a success, that crops back up in your ear that somebody said to you, you'll never amount to anything. And it latches a hold of you and it starts pulling you away from that dream that God put in your heart. It starts pulling you away from, from that thing that you felt so confident that this is going to happen, but you just can't get away from that voice. One of the things that confessing the Lordship of Jesus Christ over in our life is that it takes care of all of the other Lords that might be there. See, it's not the will of God for your life to be pulled by, by something that's got a hold of you that you can't let it go. You know? And, and, and not only just in that confession, but, you know, there are some things that, that we all need help with. So I, I thank God for things like counselors that can walk you through the emotional trappings of some of that stuff that happened in your life. People say, well, just trust the Lord. Well, sometimes trusting the Lord means go to a doctor. Because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. So that doctor came from God. That knowledge came from God. Sometimes, sometimes, that's what, sometimes, sometimes trusting the Lord means to enter into an accountability group, like a, like a 12-step program or something, to say, you know what, this thing's just dragging me along. I can't, I, 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 it's just controlling everything. It's destroying my life. It's controlling everything. Sometimes, sometimes you need help in those areas, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what you have to remember is that Jesus Christ holds supreme authority. Jesus Christ first, and, and, and making him Lord of your life, you got to make that decision. Matter of fact, the, the, the word of the Lord in salvation tells us that if we will believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, and if we will confess with our mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. That there's something about that faith confession that says, you know what? If I'm going to get to where I'm going, I've got to submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Nothing else Lord over me, only Him. You know what I'm saying? That don't take all the fun out of life. It just properly aligns what should be properly aligned. That you can stand and say, you know what? I'm going to go where He wants me to go. I'm going to do what He wants me to do. I'm going to trust His Word. And, I, and I'm going to just lean on Him. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. Take the wheel of my life. Take the wheel of my circumstance. I stand on the boat. And it is sinking, Paul says. But this much I do know. None of us will die, even though we should. None of us will die because the one I belong to also owns this circumstance. And he has told me it won't kill me. <laughs> That's what the Lordship of Christ will do in your life. That's why I want to pray with us. And, I, you know, a lot of times I know I lead a, I lead a prayer and, 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 and that's that's really proper, but really what I felt in first church, I want to do it again in second church is, is I just wanted to pray, and while I am praying, if you if you say, Pastor, I need to make that step, I need to make that step, and I need to, I need to declare the Lordship of Christ over one area of my life, all of my life, some of my life, there, there's, I need to declare the Lordship in these areas. Would you pray with me in your own way, and just, you say, well, I don't know what to pray. Okay, I'll tell you what to pray. Jesus be the Lord over my emotions. Jesus be the Lord over my job. Jesus be the Lord over my family. Be the Lord over my thoughts. Just stuff like that. That's not hard. Okay? So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to pray while I'm praying. All right? Are you ready? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you right now for this opportunity. 
that individuals have in this house. Today, we are declaring the Lordship of Christ in our life. We want to stand with the Apostle Paul and say, I belong to God. The God that I belong to. I know right now there are people in the sound of my voice that have scary stuff going on in their lives. There are job situations. The lack of a job. Family turmoil. Stuff. Just stuff going on. And I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that you would help us submit ourselves to your Lordship. That we willfully give ourselves. That we're not being coerced. We're not being forced. We're not being manipulated. We are simply saying, Jesus, be the Lord of these areas of my life and help me to walk in your word. In Jesus' name, I pray today. And everybody said amen to that, which means it is so. Let's clap our hands to the Lord because he is worthy. Praise God. If you need need to make a connection, don't run out. Go to the foyer.